Good morning, friends. We want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're hanging out with us in Wills Point. We want to welcome those that are joining us uh, in Edgewood and online. We're glad to have you. Uh, what a great and fantastic weekend it's been and uh, enjoying uh, the uh, upcoming uh, cooler weather and the rain. And so it's just God's gift to us. Uh, rain always reminds me of God's provision. And it just reminds me too, oftentimes in seasons where I've been running at a fast pace to rest. And so look forward to that, uh, worshiping and hanging out with you and then resting a little this afternoon and just reminding uh, ourselves of God's goodness. Uh, today is week five of our uh, marriage series called For Better or Worse. Uh, we have kind of joked and laughed a little bit. Oftentimes the, uh, the worst part comes faster than we would like in marriage. Uh, and uh, today it reminds me of a story uh, of a couple that ventured into the local church and uh, they were looking to, uh, to get married and were looking for a pastor. So they went and said, hey, pastor, we would love for you to marry us. And uh, the pastor just explained to him, hey, we would love to entertain that and have a conversation. But our church requires uh, for us to do counseling. And uh, so we, we would have to do several uh, sessions of counseling in which the couple then said, listen, we're going to pass. Uh, we've both been married several times and we don't think we need counseling. Now, you've heard the statistics, like uh, there's about 50% of all marriages that end in divorce. And this week, we're going to talk about one of the subjects that really lead couples that way. And one of the major challenges for people in marriage is money matters. Uh, people just can't get aligned sometimes on financial goals. And it's a, a very difficult subject to not only get aligned with, but it can be a very difficult subject to talk about. And uh, there's probably some of us in, already on both campuses that were a little bit unnerved by this. And we're like, oh, here we go. The church talking about money. Uh, but here's the deal. The, the goal today for me is to, to help you realize that Money can be challenging, and uh, to, to help us discover a plan for that. And you might even wonder, well, why is money so challenging? And it just is. Guys, maybe you can understand the perspective of money from this point, just in marriage. Um, let's say that you're going to go and get your wife a, a really nice gift, okay? And you're like, I'm going to get her a new piece of jewelry. Well, here's the deal. Money is challenging because the, the nice piece of jewelry she wants is the one you can't afford. And the one that you are going to buy is the one that she doesn't want. And so you're kind of caught in a, just a catch-22, right? You're either going to spend too much or you're going to spend too little. And whatever you do might communicate the wrong message, right? For instance, you might even spend too much and you come home and your wife's like, why are you doing that? Like that, we can't afford all that. Then you spend too little and she's like, I thought it was worth more than that, right? And so like, it's just a catch-22, money is a challenging thing. So we're going to dive in, and I pray that we do it justice. But here's the deal. Let me just set the stage real quick. If we are going to talk about money matters today, we've got to already kind of align our hearts and our minds with this value. That, that as believers in Christ and Christ followers, when we think about money and resources, we have to look at it a different lens than what the world does. Because as the world, we, we operate oftentimes as owners but as Christians, we are to operate as stewards. And so because we're stewards and we're not the owner, we've died to ourselves. Galatians 2.20, we've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It means that the things that I have in my hands as possessions, as money, as resources, are really not mine to own, but mine to steward. And a steward is simply a manager. It's someone who is entrusted with the care of the owner's possessions or property. And so uh, we have a limited time as stewards. 
As long as we're on the planet, we have God's resources in which he desires for us to use wisely. And so with that in mind, the goal is, is to approach this matter wisely as stewards. So I'm going to give you five tips today, five things that I practice and five things that I've learned. And the number one thing is if you're going to get on the same page in your marriage around finances, you've got to have a plan and communicate that plan. Now, the reason I say have a plan is because if I were to get most of you men in the room and I were to ask you a question, hey, how much money is in your bank account right now? There's a good majority of men in this room who wouldn't know for sure. Now, don't get me wrong, you might with, could get within the thousands or the hundreds, or, but you're not going to get within the pennies because you really don't know what's going on. For instance, if I were to ask you this question, hey, how much have you spent on gas since prices have increased? Most people in this room couldn't give an account for that. You would say, I don't know, a lot. I mean, it's increased. I mean, I can tell you that we're seeing a lot less you know, money at home. We're not saving as much. But I If I asked the question, no, how much are you spending each month on gas? A lot of people would know. I asked a friend not too long ago, hey, how much do you spend when you eat out? Like, how much do you you think? And then they're like, I mean, I don't know. And when they calculate that number, they would see that it is a ginormous amount. So what I say is a lot of people don't have a plan. We just approach it kind of day to day. If you know anything about Dave Ramsey, and some of you probably like him, and some of you might not, that's okay. Uh, But he would just say 70% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. What he means is, is that they have more month than they have money, and they don't have a plan. And the challenge is if they do have a plan, they're not even communicating that plan all that effectively. For instance, one of the biggest challenges that Kelly and I had in marriage was simply money. And we didn't communicate effectively. What that meant was I wanted to have conversations about money because it was important and I wanted to get a plan. And Kelly just came from a place where she was like, I don't want to talk about it. And so every time that we would come to conversation or we would talk about groceries or budgeting or any of those things, like she would literally well up in tears and she would like, I I don't want to talk about it. So we came to a place in our marriage where finally she was like, listen, Brian, all I want is for you to tell me that we're okay. She desired security. Cody talked a good deal about that last week. But she was just saying, hey, you manage the money and you tell me that we're okay. If I'm ever spending too much on groceries or gas or any of those things, just tell me to, to dial it back a bit. And I'm like, that, we can't operate that way. Like we can't operate. That's not God's design. And so through the years, we've learned to realize that, hey, money is just an object. It's just like a brick. It's just like a hammer. What you do with it could be positive, it could be beneficial, or it could be negative. But at the end of the day, I'm like, hey, babe, we have to come to the to table and we have to have conversation. The reason why is because we are celebrating oneness in this. Our goal is to be on the same page to have a plan. I'm not against you. I'm not your dad, and I don't want to operate that way. At the same time, there's a lot of us men in here that in some ways, the way we're thinking about the plan and communicating in our marriage are wives may in some ways feel more like a mom in this area than than a spouse that's desiring oneness. Does that make sense? And here's the deal. It's never good in your marriage if one person is having to act like a mom or a dad. It's not helpful. I don't need two moms or dads, right? Anybody in here like, that's not cool, right? And, And that's This area is one of those areas you see it. Now, it could be multiple areas, but what am I saying? What I'm saying is, is if you're not engaged in the conversation, hey, show up to the table. 
say, hey, I want to get a plan and I'm willing to communicate. It may be hard. It may take a lot out of you. It may take time. But at the end of the day, we are to do that. Why? Proverbs 21, verse 5 and 6, uh, five and six says this, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Verse 6 goes on and says, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. When you get a plan, it can lead to abundance. But if you're just fly by night, hoping that things are going to work out, he goes, you're going to see ruin. It's, it's when people come to poverty. The point is, is that if you're shocked that you don't have anything in your account or that you have had an overdraft and that shocks you, then that means you don't have a plan and you're not operating by that plan. And that's the thing we want to walk through. Now, here's the deal. You might ask the question, well, how do I put a plan together? And I would say, well, you got to ask a handful of questions. Hey, what are our goals? Like, what are we trying to establish here? What are we trying to do? Like, at the end of the day, like, there's got to be an end game. Like, there's got to be something that we're going, hey, this is where we're heading. This is what we need. This is what we desire. And then more than that, you got to then have the wisdom to operate in the lens of, hey, what do we need and what do we desire? Because oftentimes we have to forego our desires to make sure we have what we need. And there's great wisdom in knowing that, that sometimes you're going to have to do what's countercultural and just taking care of your absolute needs, not your absolute wants. And so as you're making a plan, you ask really good questions. But here's what I would just hear you, hope you hear. Um, AmericaSavesWeek.org, it's a great financial resource, but they say this. If you have two families that make the same amount of money, the one who makes a plan will save two times more than the family who doesn't. At the end of the day, just having a plan can lead to abundance. And you might ask, well, okay, well, where do I start with a plan? Well, I'm going to show you a simple, simple plan. So simple that you can walk out of here today as we talk through these tips and you can have it. I'm going to put it for you up on the screen. Here it is. It's really complex, but it's simple, right? You give some, you spend some, you save some. Wow. Okay, here we go. We're going to say it together. Y'all ready? We give some, we save some. Or we spend some and we save some. Yeah, I run that, right? Should have. So we give some, we spend some, we save some. Like Brandon, come on, man. No, no, that really is how it works. Okay, so when you, when you get a plan, you start with a budget. A budget. What is a budget? A budget is a document or a resource that you create. Now, some of you are like, I got one. I got one. Okay, in order to effectively work the plan, you have to update the budget. You have to look at it more than every year. And then you got to use it, right? But the goal is, is simply looking at all these things and asking the questions, okay, do I want to be known as someone who gives and who's generous? And if so, how much generosity do we want to display? Now, here's the deal. I don't think any of us watched the Christmas Carol and walked away from it and thought, you know what, my favorite character is Ebenezer Scrooge. Anybody? Now, don't get me wrong. There's a couple probably of us in here that are a little more twisted, and we're like, no, he really was my favorite character. But by and large, that wasn't. Like the, we really liked the Bob Cratchit. We really liked the, the generous person. And I would say that most of us in this room would desire to be more generous, to be known for that, right? That, that, that most of us would say, I would love to get to a place where I could give some things away. And here's what I would just tell you, friends. It happens when you plan. When you look at your overall budget and say, hey, we're going to give some away, we're going to spend some, and then, hey, we're going to save some, that's the key. 
And the way you do that is you take the number that you're going to give away and the number that you're going to spend and the number that you're going to save, and all of those numbers combined have to equal the percentage of 100. So the problem, though, is that with Americans is that we have this plan in place, and oftentimes when we map out the plan, we either don't do it thoroughly or we don't live by it. And so we actually are outputting more than we're inputting. And that's a huge challenge. And when we begin to output more than we input, then what happens by and large is there's two categories that go away. Our giving and our saving. And Americans by and large are great spenders and we're not great at saving or being generous. But I believe as being a steward of God's resources, as someone who gets a really good plan, I think it means that you have to have all three. And I think I can show you that. And so over the next few tips, I want you just to see how we have a great plan. And so tip number two, you, tip one is, is, is get a plan to communicate it. Tip number two is to decide to be generous. It is a decision that you have to make. Are we going to be generous or we're not going to be generous? Because here's the deal, if you're looking for your budget to work out before you decide to be generous, then it's not going to probably always add up. It's something that you have to decide in your heart to do. We're going to be known as a generous people. Now, just real quickly, so you understand that we're not confused. I'm not asking you to be generous towards our church right now. That's not what I'm saying. I'm asking, do you want in your marriage, to be known as a couple who displays the goodness of God. And we do that in our unity in our marriage. We do that in our kindness and the multiple qualities that Jesus demonstrated that we should demonstrate as well. But one of the things that Jesus demonstrated greatly is generosity. Like he is the most extravagant giver there is. He gave his own son for us. People who were not worthy, he gave. And you just got to ask yourself, do we want to be known as a generous people? And there's lots of ways that you can be generous outside of giving to the local church or to charity. And so the key is, is just, are you going to plan for it? And if you're going to plan for it, how do you do that? Well, I would just say this. You, you realize that that's God's desire. Matter of fact, the very first instance that you see of generosity or giving is actually in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 3 of the fall of man. Genesis chapter 4, you see the population of the earth. The first two children born of Adam and Eve are, are two boys, Cain and Abel. If you remember, Cain and Abel, uh, Abel was the keeper of the sheep, and uh, Cain was the worker of the ground. And so you had Abel, who's the keeper of the sheep, uh, Cain, worker of the ground, and they both brought sacrifices to the Lord. Their offerings. Now, what's interesting about that is if you go back and read, there were no instructions given to God that we are aware of. Now, God could have given them instructions, but we, we don't have that written down for us. What we do know is that one, Abel, brought an acceptable sacrifice, and the scriptures tell us in Genesis chapter 4 that he, bought, he brought the uh, firstborn of all of his flock. Now, when we get to Cain, we know that he also brought a sacrifice, and we know that God wasn't pleased. And what's interesting is it did not say that he brought any of his first fruits. It merely said that he brought an offering. God was pleased because Abel brought his firstborn, but it seemed to be that Cain decided reluctantly to give God his best. So did he give leftovers? We don't know. What we do know is that there was something off. And you might ask the question, well, what was off in the very first sacrifice? 
And I would say Jesus answers the question for us explicitly even when he teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. Let me show it to you. In Matthew chapter 6, look what Jesus says in verses 19 through 21. And I'll put it for you up on the screen. You can make a note of it and go back. He says, hey, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in what? Heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What was the problem with Cain's sacrifice in Genesis chapter 4? It seemed to be that his heart was missing. So yeah, yes, he was the worker of the ground, and yes, he did have a harvest, but it seemed to be that he decided, I'm going to keep what's best for me, because it doesn't make sense, and I'll give God what's left over. God was not pleased because he ultimately knew Cain's heart. Abel became um, the, the person who was, in some ways, reaped the wrath of his brother, Cain, in his anger. But it all started with one simple gift. God was pleased with one and not pleased with the other. One gave the firstborn, the other seemed to lack the first fruits. Now, why do I tell you that? The reason I tell you that is simply because I want you to realize that giving and being generous is something that all of us can struggle with, but it is something that God desires for us as a steward, to be generous people. Matter of fact, Paul writes to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. He writes a whole passage of the Corinthian church because they were, back, they were trying to backtrack on their commitment to the Jerusalem church. Basically, they'd say, yeah, yeah, we're going to give. And then they were backtracking. Like, when it came time to finally owe up, they're like, oh. Yeah. So Paul wrote, and he goes, listen. He says, hey, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What's his point? He goes, listen, if you... If you if you have something and as a steward you give it away, he goes, the more you give away, the more change you make. So the more that you keep to yourself, he goes, you're going to have less of a harvest. At the end of the day, you want to be a farmer that gives a lot away, plant lots of plants. And that's his point. And he goes, God loves a cheerful giver. Now what's interesting about that is this, is that here in my back pocket, I've got a mint, right? Now, the the way I'm wired is like, I like to keep a mint in my back pocket because at the end of the message, I'm like, I got this preacher breath stuff going on, right? Like you spoke a whole lot. You're like, I don't want to be talking to people. So I have a mint. But let me ask you a question. If, if I'm a gracious guy, am I willing to give 100%? Anybody need a mint? Like you're like, I could use a mint. Okay. Surely somebody. Yeah, I mean, yeah, way back there in the back. Here's, okay. So like I'm, I'm going to give 100% of my mints away. Now, I hope that you leave today and you go, dude, he is so generous. <laughs> right? And here's the deal. Listen, in the first service, I gave four minutes away. You're like, what? You're like, no, I forgot. That's how I did it. I forgot. I didn't reload enough is the point. But here's the deal. If I give all of those away, you go, oh, isn't he, isn't he generous? No, that's not your thought at all, is it? But what, what if I was used to giving 80 or 100% of my resources away? But why does it change when it moves from mints or a pack of gum to money? Like all of a sudden, you, you got a, a handful of $20 bills in your pocket 
And somebody's like, hey, like, I've got a tangible need. And all of a sudden it's like, no, like, isn't it crazy that the larger the amount God entrusts to our care, the more tight-fisted we get? And why is that? At the end of the day, I think it comes back down to a heart thing. Or it ultimately comes back down to just saying, God, I don't know that I can trust you with this plan. But friends, I want you to realize that that simple plan that I showed you was not the plan that I made up. It's the plan that you see in Scripture. We are intended very clearly to give some, to spend some, and to save some. And God outlines that time and time and time in the Scripture. And His best stewards trust Him as they plan and communicate that plan and as they become generous in what they do. See, I think the challenge is oftentimes for us, it's not only a heart challenge, but it's a mindset. For instance, Barna recently did a study, and I'm going to attach it for you as a picture, and you'll see it in my sermon notes. I'll even provide a link if you want to go see it. But he basically just said, hey, what are Christians, millennials, Gen X, boomers, and elders, what are they concerned about when it comes to their money? And you would see that they're just listed in priority. And most people are saying, hey, I want to make sure that I have plenty for my family. I want to provide for them. Uh, secondly, they would say, I want to make sure that we have enough to support our lifestyle. Like we want to be able to go out to eat or we want to be able to go on vacations. We want to be able to do those things. Thirdly, they need to meet their obligations. Maybe it's a family matter or maybe it's future plan. They just want to have enough. Fourthly, they want, they want to be content. They want to be content. And then fifthly is when they get down to giving charitably. Then look at six. Number six is I want to serve God with my money. It's the sixth priority among people, which I don't know about you, but that seems out of order. Or do you think the order is correct? See, the problem is is that most of us in this room might go, you know what, I think it's out of order. But the challenge is, is that that order is most of our orders. But if you're a believer in Christ and you're a steward, not an owner, the question is, are you operating like a steward? Or are you operating like the owner? It's something I wrestle with all the time. Oftentimes, I operate more like the owner than a steward. But that's what Americans are concerned about, and it's how they're spending their money. Which this brings up the, the next thing, tip number three, is that we got to be wise with our spending. I put it this way, be wise with your debt. Uh, when we were going through our biblical eldership study, one of the questions we asked ourselves and studied for quite a length of time is, is, is debt sin? Have you ever thought about it from that lens? Is debt sinful? And we actually came to the conclusion that debt is not sinful depending on what kind of debt it is and how long you're in debt and what all that looks like. But the key is that you have to ask yourself is, am I in debt to so much capacity that I'm a slave to the lender and if I am a slave to the lender, what is it keeping me from? Is it keeping me from saving? And is it keeping me from giving? At the end of the day, if so, then it can quickly become sinful. Does that make sense? So it may not initially start as sinful, but it can certainly get there quickly. Now, the reason I say that is because I think about the old adage that Kelly's grandmother said many years ago before she passed away. And I can remember Nanny saying this. She said, Brandon, why do you think that you're going to have the, the money 30 days from now if you don't have the money today? And I'm like, that's so true. But we operate from the lens of, hey, I'll buy it today and I'll pay it off later. I kid you not, I was in the bank just a few weeks ago. I was depositing some money. And when I was depositing money, there was a, there was a gentleman that was probably 15 years younger than me. So that would put him around 25, okay? 
26 years old, and he is having a conversation with a bank teller, and which then requires the manager to come along because they're confused by his question. And here's what his question was. Hey, I would like to deposit some money today from my account. And, and then the next question was, and if you're okay with that, I'll bring you my money tomorrow. Now, the, obviously, the teller was a little confused, so much so that they went and got the manager. The manager then is perplexed, and I see this whole exchange going down. And the gentleman is literally saying, hey, I would like a layaway. I mean, basically, if you'll give me some money, I'll bring you some money. In which the, the manager looked at him, and she was so perplexed. She's like, okay, rephrase your question. I'm not sure I'm understanding. He goes, it's simple. If you'll give me $3,000 today, I gotta go take care of some things. I'm getting paid tomorrow and I'll bring you the $3,000 and I'll deposit tomorrow. And she's like, sir, we, like, we can't do that. You have $13 in your account. Like we can't give you $3,000. If you'll bring the check tomorrow, we'll certainly cash it and you can have it out. Now here's the crazy thing is we're like, like you're, not, you're making that up. I'm like, I am not making it up. I walked out to the car and I'm like, Kelly, you are not gonna believe this. <laughs> And then from there, I'm like, uh, and, then, and then here's the deal. All of us in our head, we're like, oh, the educational system's broken. No, parenting is broken. But here's the deal. Let me explain this to you, and I hope you hear this clear, clearly. As laughable as it is, can I help you understand what's not any different? It's not any different if you continually put money on a credit card and you don't have the money to pay it. They're the same thing. They're the exact same thing. Basically, what you're saying is, hey, loan me this today, and I'll bring you the money tomorrow. Kelly's grandmother said, if you don't have the money today, baby, you ain't going to have it tomorrow. And you're probably not going to have it 30 days from now. And she was so right. And as foolish as this young man looked, and I was like, golly, is this real life? Friends, a lot of us are practicing something similarly. And here's the deal. The Bible tells us to be careful about that, to make sure that we're wise with our money. Paul wrote to Timothy, a younger friend and pastor, in 1 Timothy 6, he says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Contentment on that list that I just showed you was down the list a ways. It should be higher. He goes on, he says, But those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that many have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. What is he saying? He goes, listen, if you, if you don't have a plan and you continue to get yourself into places that you shouldn't and you lack genuine contentment, then he goes, you will find yourself with great pain. And you'll find yourself even wandering from the faith as you become your own owner rather than a genuine steward. Which leads me to tip number four. If we are to be generous and then we're to watch our debt and our spending, then the third or the fourth tip would be that we're to take and make savings a priority. And so how do we make savings a priority? Through hard work. Proverbs 13, 11 says this, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. 
what? Little by little? That doesn't even sound fun. Like, you know what sounds fun is putting a lot of money into something like a penny stock and hoping that tomorrow it takes off. But the problem is that that's not the way that you gather wealth. The scriptures tell us that we gather the wealth with a plan day by day. Hard work. It means that you look at your budget and your plan and you go, hey, I don't have enough money coming in for the outputs. Then it means I either got to change the outputs or I got to change the inputs, which means I either got to go do more physical hard work to gain more money to meet my needs, or I got to start Xing some stuff off. And I'll just tell you that in the years that we were planting and God was preparing our heart for this church, like we became very strenuous savers. Like I had, we had no cable, we had no YouTube TV, we had no U-verse, like, like we were just very zoned in. Now, obviously, we're not as zoned in, but I, I'll tell you this. Last year, I thought, you know what? I'm going to get me a different vehicle. My vehicle, I mean, I've had it forever. It's got 200 plus thousand miles on it. And I, I thought, you know what? I'm going to get another. It's a good deal. It landed in my lap, kind of. I made three payments on it. And I was like, it's got to go. It's got to go. It will not match our goals. At the end of the day, you know what our goal is? Is to save money wisely, and to be generous. And it was preventing us because it was $644 a month from doing those things. And you know what I'm doing? I kept the same old truck I had because it was paid off, and I'm still driving it. I washed it for the first time just the other day before the rain. <laughs> just because I'm like, you know what? i got to keep this girl going. She's got to get another 100,000 miles. And listen, I drive a clunker. But at the end of the day, I would rather be content with that than to spend hundreds doing something to impress people that could care less. Now, here's the deal. What I'm not saying is, is that if you are paying on a vehicle, that you're wrong. That's not what I said. And if that's what you heard, then that's not from me. You got to ask yourself, was that a bad taco or is that the Holy Spirit's conviction? I don't know. <laughs> that's not from me. What I am saying is, is I know what our goals are. And I know that at the end of my life, I don't, I don't need that as a part of it. And so I, we just made the hard call. And, and that's something that, as a church, you can even hold me accountable to. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to have to upgrade my vehicle at some point, because I will. But it's just to be wise in that. Why? Because saving should be a priority. And when we think about savings, we could easily think about a creature on earth that God has put in our midst to remind us. I love this. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 says this. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Isn't it fantastic? I mean, written almost 3,000 years ago, you got... This incredibly wise man who goes, hey, listen, at the end of the day, you got to get up and go to work. And when you work, he goes, save some, because there's going to be a day when a winter comes. And there's some of you in this room, you know what I'm talking about. A winter comes, right? You're doing everything you can save, and then the, the water heater goes out. You're doing everything you say, and you got to put new struts on the vehicle. It just surprised you. You're doing everything you can save, and then you got a funeral expense. You're doing everything you can save, and uh, something else sneaks up on you, like Christmas. Our worst giving at Stone Point every year is January, February, and March. You know why? We've tracked it down. Most of our people 
are paying off what they borrowed a few months earlier. But friends, what if we just took like $100 every month and said, you know what, here's $100 or $200 every month and just stuck it off in a place. Like every man in here, y'all got a gun safe because you live in Texas, right? Stick some cash in that gun safe and go, you know what, this is going to be our Christmas money. Plan for it. Why? Because it's coming. And so are birthdays and weddings and graduations, all of that stuff that you can plan for. And it prevents you from having no plan when it arrives. Does that make sense? And so how do you save? You get a plan and then you move towards that plan. Don't be a sluggard. Gather for the winter days because they are coming. And if you aren't in winter now, you'll be in winter within the end of the week. I'm sorry, but you will. Because life happens, right? But as stewards, we know that we have an owner who knows that life is going to happen and he'll walk us through it when we plan wisely. And here's tip number five. This is a bonus. Surround yourself with trusted advisors. You're like, oh, heck no. I don't want anybody knowing my finances. And listen, that comes from two places. One, it comes from living in darkness rather than living in the light, or it comes from shame and embarrassment because you know what's passed through your hands and you know what you have to show for it. Either way, neither one of those things are from the Lord. At the end of the day, God has created us to live in community and not everyone has to know our finances. That's not what I said, but a handful of trusted advisors can. Why? Because we see it in scripture. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22 says, without counsel, plans fail, but when many advisors, they succeed. When you get several intelligent people in the room to look at a complicated problem, you often come out with a great solution. When you get wise people in the room to look at a complicated challenge from different angles, you come out with a really great solution. And friends, I practice that in every area of my life. I ask people questions about finances. I ask people questions about being an arborist, about plants. I do that about beekeeping. I do that about pastoral ministry. I can never learn enough. Why? Because I'm a fool and I need help. And so the more trusted advisors I can have in my life, the better I'll be. That's the way God created us to live. And I'll tell you, he desires that over money. Yes, it's a sensitive topic. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it can be embarrassing. But at the end of the day, Proverbs also says this in Proverbs 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So a fool is sitting in the seat right now going, I am not doing that. I didn't call you that, the Bible did. (laughs) But it's true. At the end of the day, I'm not asking you to share your finances with everybody, but if you're living in community, when's the last time that you got open and transparent enough to say, hey, here's where I'm at. This is where I'm stuck. Y'all have any insight or help? Hey, how, how, me and my wife are squabbling over money. I want to go to the dear lease. She thinks it's too much money. She wants to go do her nails, and I think it's stupid. Some trusted advisors helped Kelly and I work that out early in our, in our marriage. Hey, here's a set amount. You go do whatever you want with that $200, and I'm going to go do whatever I want with this $200, as long as it doesn't promote sin. At the end of the day, if I want to go to the dear lease, I've got to save up every month for a long time. If she wants to go do her nails, she can do those five different times every week, and I can't complain about it. Because at the end of the day, it's her, in some ways, allowance. That right there is gold right there. Set it, and then say, hey, here's what it is. And then give... Give some boundaries over that. Ask great questions. That's what trust advisors do. Look for people who are winning in this area and then let them share a little bit with you. 
real quick as we close, I want you to hear from a, a really good friend, a guy that you know, a guy that you love, um, a guy who's leading in our church and has been just crushing it. I mean, crushing it. And uh, I want you just to hear from him because um, this is an area where he's grown a ton. And so I'm going to bring my friend up, Archie Engel. Now, when, you, when, I, when he comes up, I want you all to give him a really warm welcome, okay? So I'm going to let him share just for about three or four minutes. And uh, he's just going to share honestly what a lot of us struggle with. And the reason he's going to do that is because it comes from a place of real personal growth. And I want you to hear it. Thanks, Archie. What's up, friends? Hey, it's good to see you guys. Uh, many of you know that the Lord called me to ministry back in April of 2015. Uh, if you didn't know that, he did. And by God's grace, I've been a part of this great team here, and I've grown and learned so much. Going back to uh, just this topic, we had a conversation Wednesday night that led to this moment now. And Brandon knows what the Lord's done here, and he's like, hey, you, you mind getting up and sharing just for a few minutes? And I was like, man, that's going to be uncomfortable, but I want to be obedient, and I pray that the Lord uses it for his glory and our good. So back in April of 2015, uh, our finances changed dramatically as uh, my wife and I just stepped into ministry. I left a job that I did for 15 years. And I just tried to trust the Lord. I'm like, all right, Lord, you've called me here. Um, again, our finances changed dramatically, and I was truly, uh, my faith was truly being tested. We didn't really have a financial plan at all. Um, and so that being said, I was just studying through the book of Proverbs, and I was truly convicted when I read this verse. And it's Proverbs 3, 9. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Well, after reading that verse, I was so uncomfortable by being convicted by the Spirit of God that it caused me great discomfort. Now, Brandon mentioned a bad taco earlier, but let me tell you something. There's nothing like being convicted by the Spirit of God. It, it, you know, some acid reflux medicine, it can't take that away. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hang out for a while, and it did, and it never left, and it got worse. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I shared it with my wife, and she did not want to change that what we were doing due to the fact of fear of the unknown. So through prayer, um, I just had to trust the Lord. And so uh, you see, we were given our leftovers. We weren't given our first fruits. We were barely tithing, and it was at the end of the month. We were not trusting the Lord with any of our finances. But looking back, I said, I've trusted God with walking into ministry, being obedient there. Um, we have no problem giving our time and talents, but we weren't ready to go all in with everything. But God was wanting us to go all in. And a really good friend and brother in Christ helped me see clearly what I was not doing and helped me walk in obedience to trust God fully with everything. I then confessed to our staff the area of disobedience that I was walking in, and I sought forgiveness. I said, if I can't trust God with everything and walk in obedience in Christ, I do not need to be in the ministry leading and calling others to be obedient in the area that I'm not being. I was reminded that everything belongs to God, and we are just called to be good stewards. And it all comes down to a heart issue. And I was just struggling with that. I also then read Malachi 3.10. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. It was as if God was saying, do you really trust me? 
do you really trust me? And God says to test him in this area. So in December of 2018, we wanted to honor the Lord with our first fruits. Not that 10% is all that God wants from us, but we wanted to start there and be faithful with that. And it didn't make sense on paper, trust me. It was a great place to start, and that's where we went. We were able to give some, save some, and we had money at the end of the month. And we were also able to bless others in ways that we weren't able before. Listen to this. This is where it all comes down to right here. God showed us his faithfulness through our obedience. God desires us as his children to walk in obedience in all things. Hebrews 12 reminds us of how God disciplines those that he loves just as a father disciplines his child. I want to please my heavenly father in all that I do. Am I perfect? By no means. But I desire to please the Lord Jesus Christ in all areas of my life. And we are still learning and growing in this area in finances. But my prayer for you, church, is for you to seek the Lord in your heart. Ask God to reveal areas of your life that you are not walking in obedience, not just finances, because again, it's a hard issue. And when God shows you, I pray that you have the boldness and courage to seek counsel from a trusted friend in Christ to help you walk in obedience, to honor the Lord with all that you do. And just to ask, your question, ask yourself the question, are you really trusting God? Thank you. Obviously, I got to walk uh, with Archie through that. And, and basically, he just confessed. He goes, hey, man, we weren't, we weren't honoring God. I was leading people to a place that I wasn't going. And he goes, the Lord changed that in me. And what's so cool about that is to see all the ways that God has provided. And even um, just tangible ways that we have celebrated over the years. And Archie's fantastic about writing things down. And he's a detailed guy. Like, he doesn't miss when God shows up. And it's super cool to see how God has been faithful. Now, here's the deal. As we close, I want you to hear this. What we are not doing today is pitching to you, hey, why you should give to the local church today. That's not what this message is about. If that's what you're, if that's what you're leaving with, then, hey, you've missed the whole point. What are we desiring? We're desiring that if you are a Christ follower, that you would be God's stewards. If you're married, we desire that you would seek to be one in this area that you would get a plan, that you would say, hey, let's be known for generous ways. Like, for instance, you go eat today, leave a bigger tip than you usually leave. Instead of waitress and waitresses going, oh, they came from the local church and they're the most stingy people, be known as the most generous people. But work it into your plan. That way you don't feel bad about it. It's like giving mints. Mints are one thing. Money's a different one in this culture. And people need it with all the rising prices and costs. So does your waitress waiter. Be generous. Don't spend more than you should. Remember Kelly's grandmother's words. If you don't have it today, Brandon, what well, makes you think you're going to have it 30 days from now? Save some. Figure out how much. Is that 5%, 10%? I don't know. Save some. And then more than anything, get some people in your life to help you be a gospel witness through your finances. That's the goal. Nothing more, nothing less. God will work out all that in your heart. Let me pray for us, and we're going to close with two quick and very important announcements. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning, your message, your word, all that you say about being wise with our resources. Thank you, Lord, that at the end of the day, 
Our treasures simply reveal where our heart is. And Lord, we can build up a kingdom on earth, or Lord, we can be making heavenly investments. I pray that you would help us lean towards eternal perspective and investments that outlive us. I pray that we would do that in areas of faith and discipleship, in areas of our generosity, in ways that we save, in ways that we're prudent and wise like the ant. Lord, more than anything, I pray that we would honor you knowing that nothing that we possess is ultimately ours. It's yours, and you've entrusted to us for a short time. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Cool. So hey, quick, real quick, lean in with me. Two really important things. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to observe the two ordinances of the church. Maybe you're here like, I don't even know what an ordinance is. An ordinance is a very important celebration that reminds us of the life and the death of Christ. One of them is the Lord's Supper, and the second is baptism. Next Sunday morning, we are going to enjoy communion together. Uh, We're going to sing together. We're going to worship together. And we're going to just concentrate on a time of celebrating the Lord's broken body and the blood of Christ. It's going to be wonderful from start to finish. The focus is on Christ and what he's done for us. I pray that you will be here. Two weeks from now, we're going to celebrate the second ordinance. And that is on the 30th, we're going to have baptism celebration on our Edgewood campus at 10 a.m. Now listen, if you are not careful, you'll think, oh, the broken body and the blood of Christ, and that is something I want to be a part of because we haven't taken communion in a long time, but I've got something else or sometimes things happen on baptism celebration. And friends, if I could just be honest with you, as your pastor and more than your friend, I think here recently, baptism celebration has kind of been like, oh yeah, I've done that. At the end of the day, baptism celebration is a reminder of not Jesus' broken body and the blood, but it's a reminder of his resurrection, how he takes and makes all things new. And friends, I just encourage you that the next two Sundays, if you're in town or you're nearby and you don't have plans that are already etched in stone, that you would etch these in stone. And you would say, hey, we're going to be here as a church family, and we're going to pray together, we're going to worship together, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, and then we're going to celebrate life change together. The next two weekends, we hope that you're there. Cool deal? Friends, I love you. We're not having a closing song today. We're simply going to send you out, not to, to, to come and gather as the church merely, but to go and be the church. And so have a great week of worship. We